0: Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Lord Jesus, as we just sang, oh God, how we, how we need you. We come before you this morning and we ask you, Lord, to prepare our hearts to hear your truth. Help us, Lord, to loosen the grip that we have on those areas of our life that we hide, that we conceal, that we just hold so tightly to. Let us hear your voice today as it is preached. Bless our dear pastor. Give him joy as he speaks. May truth abound in his voice. May it all come from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: As Christians, we hear about all kinds of controversial issues and we wonder, how would Jesus deal with those if he was alive today? Of course, he is alive today, but his physical ministry on earth is now carried out, well, through us. How would Jesus deal with some of the most tender of those controversial issues, issues that deal with our innermost, most personal being? like marriage and divorce, like gender identity, like sexual preferences or sexual orientations, or like celibacy and abstinence. This text, of course, talks about those things, and I'm not going to talk about all of them today, but I hope in the weeks ahead I'll be addressing some of them. But as we think about those issues, we realize that as Christians, we're often called haters, we're called judgmental, maybe worst of all, we're called unloving. Here we are serving the God who is love, and the worst name we could ever be called is unloving. And so the question is, how does Jesus deal with these issues? Jesus, who is God incarnate, God who is love incarnate among us, how would he answer that charge against us? So as we look at this, I'm going to be focusing on verse 4 in our text, in Matthew 19. So as we listen to Jesus speak to us about gender, think about how, as he frames his answers, how he views our hurting world, how he views God, the creator, and then how he views his ministry of love. So let's first look at how he sees the world. And there's two things I want you to notice about Jesus' ministry as we begin to think about this subject. First, he believed there was a way that things are supposed to be. There's a way that things are supposed to be. And secondly, the way things are is not the way they're supposed to be. Let me just explain what I mean by that. Jesus believed there is a way that things were supposed to be. There's a wonderful summary of Jesus's ministry in the book of Acts. Acts 10:38 says Jesus went about doing good. Isn't that great? Isn't that a perfect illustration of what love is? If we want to love others, we want to do good to them. But what does it mean to do good? How do you decide what's good? And who decides what's good? But Jesus went about doing good. How did he do that? Well, there's a word that's often used to describe Jesus' ministry, particularly his ministry of healing. It's the word restore. There was a blind man that came to Jesus, and it says Jesus restored his eyesight. There was a, a lame man that came to Jesus, and Jesus restored his leg. The word restore is key. And you know what that means. It means putting things back the way they're supposed to be putting them back the way they're supposed to be. Maybe at a deeper level, even though that word restore is not used, he called his disciples to himself. Matthew was a, well, we'd say as a tax collector, he lived a life of dishonesty and greed, if he was at all typical, and Jesus called him away from that. We might say he restored Matthew to be what God intended him to be, a man of integrity and honesty who follows God. Jesus is in the business of restoring, and the very word restoring implies there's a way that things are supposed to be. You can't put things back unless you know where they're supposed to go. Now that word, supposed to be, is very controversial today. I think you know that. People will say there's no normal. There's no supposed to be about life. But Jesus's ministry of restoration Even if you think about it, his very ministry of healing, what characterized his ministry meant he was putting things back the way they were supposed to be. So he had a notion that things are supposed to be in a certain way. I had a friend who trained to restore old paintings, some of them incredibly valuable, done hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He had this very extensive training, years spent in education. He studied art history. He studied chemistry so that he could understand how pigments are made. When a particular painting was brought to him to restore, he had to go study that particular artist. What were his brush strokes exactly like? What was the culture in which he grew up and what was his habit of making his own pigments? How did he make them? What materials did he use? Now, why did he do all that? Well, because He wanted to find out what the painting originally was like. You can't restore a painting unless you know what it's supposed to be like originally. The very idea of restoration means there's some original design. So Jesus had a standard, and he says in verse 4 what it is. Matthew 19, verse 4, he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So he goes back to Genesis chapter 1. I'll be reading from that in a moment. It wasn't by a vote. It wasn't by social pressure. It wasn't a crack team of social scientists deciding what is supposed to be. But it's at the beginning. He says, At the beginning, there's an original view. And that's what I'm restoring things to. So that's the first thing about Jesus' view. As he approaches this, he has in his mind that there's a way things are supposed to be. But here's a second, just as important. Things today are not the way they're supposed to be. And I think sometimes we forget that. Something has gone terribly wrong. There's no point in restoring, there's no point in healing, if things aren't marred, broken, torn. And so Jesus understood that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. So Jesus healed the blind, why? Because he knew God created eyes to see, and here's someone who's not seeing. He healed the lame because God created legs to bear our weight and transport us, and the leg isn't working the way it's supposed to be. So something has gone wrong. And Jesus' very ministry is based on that, isn't it? So the Bible says that there is something wrong. And in fact, in light with the topic I'm considering The Bible says there's something wrong with all of us, there's something wrong with all of us as sexual beings. I'm not talking about a subset now of humanity, I'm talking about every man, woman, and child. There's something wrong with us because none of us matches up to the glory of God's purposes in creation, the way he originally made us. And that's true of all of us. And why is that? Well, Genesis, of course, points to that. In Genesis 3, it says, because we declared independence from God. We said, we don't want you to be God anymore, at least not God over us. We don't want you to define who we are, define what's right and wrong. We want to do that ourselves. We'll define what our sexuality is. We'll define what our marriages should be. We'll define our values, what's good, what's bad, and we'll do what we want. There's no supposed to be anymore, you know? There's no supposed to be. There's just what I want. There's just what we want. So there's something gone wrong with our world. There's a way it's supposed to be. Jesus knew that. But Jesus also knew there's something wrong with our world, with our hearts, with our sexuality, with all of us. So keep that in mind. That's Jesus' view of this hurting world. And of course, that has to be our view of this hurting world as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the second thing. We have to ask, how does Jesus see God the creator? And why is that relevant to this view? I'm gonna again focus on verse four and see what he says. Look what he says, two things. He answered and said, have you not read that he who created, I'm gonna first look at that, he who created, there is a God and this God is the creator. There is a God and this God is the creator. And friends, this is a fundamental question when we talk about marriage and divorce, when we talk about sexuality or gender identity, celibacy, sexual purity, all of it has to begin with this question, is there or is there not a creator God? If you're talking to someone about these issues, don't waste your breath until you find out where they stand on that issue. If they don't really believe there's a God who created everything, they will not understand anything that you're saying. It will not make sense to them because It's outside their worldview. It's a strange language in terms of thinking. It's a fundamental question. Is there or is there not a God who created? So this is where Jesus began, which is where we, of course, have to begin, that God created us and he had a purpose in creating us as male and female, not an accident. And so because he did that, this is what we would say, because there's a God, because he created us as male and female, the best way to live The happiest way for us to live both individually and as a society is to recognize that, to live according to the design that our creator has impressed upon us. So that's the first thing. There is a creator. You notice how he said that. But there's a second thing. Because someone would say, well, how do you know what he wants? How do you know his design? So Jesus said, have you not read that he who created them, created them male and female? Have you not read So the second thing is, not only is there a God, but God has spoken. A critical point for us. So Jesus pointed them to Genesis. He says there's a book in the Bible where you can learn what God has said. And haven't you read that? It speaks about who we are, including his view of gender. How he created humanity to be. How it's supposed to be. So if you have your Bibles, let me just read that. Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28. It says, God created man or mankind in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's two of them here. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the, over the birds of the sky and over everything that moves on the earth. If you look at this, you see some obvious things. God created us male and female, them. There's two of them, and they're not all mixed up. If you look to Genesis chapter 2, where the focus zeroes in on what this really meant in creation, we know that this was a male and a female. God created us male and female, man and woman. So, obvious point, but sexuality is present right from the beginning. God said, fill the earth, reproduce, have babies, have families. And then when God looked at the whole thing, he said, it is very good. So there's a way things are supposed to be. Jesus believed that. Things are not now the way they're supposed to be. It all depends on who God is. The way things are supposed to be is because there's a God who created us and that God has spoken. And Jesus said, he said, there's male and female, just two, just two. That was God's Purpose. God created us male and female, but the world is not the way it's supposed to be, so we're all in need of healing. God created us male and female, but we're all in need of healing in this hurting world. Now, Jesus' words are controversial, even hurtful to many people. And I definitely don't mean to wound people whose views may differ from what we're reading about in the words of Jesus here. In fact, I've talked to people who don't share jesus's views and i love them and the last thing i'd want to do is wound them and yet my job here is to just report what jesus is saying but as i've talked to them and as i've read the writings of some of these people thoughtful people and good people it's clear that they don't start where jesus did it's a hurting world jesus said in need of restoration there's a god who has spoken and They don't agree with that. They say, no, there is no binary gender. There's no male or female. Gender is fluid. They might even say that gender changes from season of life to season of life. And they say, just look at the world around you. It's obvious, isn't it? Talk to people. That's the way it is in the world. They would say nature itself is unclear on this issue that you're talking about. We might say, well, you know, our bodies tell us if we're male or if we're female, and we say, well, God made us that way. But We also recognize that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And so, everybody's bodies don't give a distinct, clear signal. The statistics on this vary. As you might expect, it's a hot political issue. But one of the, I think, reliable studies said that something like .05% of the population is in this category where their bodies don't give a clear message about whether it's male or female or their very DNA is confused, you might say, or is indistinct. You can't identify it as clearly male or clearly female. And so they would say, well, look look at the evidence. Doesn't that mean that there's no male and there's no female? Others say, and they make a powerful argument, others say that what really matters is my feelings. What do i feel like what does my mind tell me and so they say i don't feel like either i don't feel like man i don't feel like a woman where does that leave me i've had the privilege of having some people who do have those feelings share very openly and honestly with me about what they think and i'm talking about people who are christians a young man who liked to wear silky brightly colored shirts said does this mean i'm not really a man confusing for a young person, isn't it? A woman who serves Jesus with her whole heart, who has sacrificed more to serve Jesus than I ever have, says that the way she feels comfortable right now is to have a haircut and to wear clothes which society might see as more masculine. That's just the way she feels. Their feelings inside don't match their bodies on the outside. And as they try to, of course, sort these things out, they get even more confusing signals from society. So they say, especially those who are not followers of Christ, maybe not the two that I mentioned as examples, they say, well, look around. This is reality. Just accept it. There's no supposed to be about it. When you look at the world, you don't see any evidence for that. And Jesus would disagree with them. They say, there's nothing wrong with our body. There's nothing wrong with our mind. There's nothing wrong with our feelings. There's nothing wrong with our soul. And Jesus says, he came to restore, restore. Which means, no, we're not what we're supposed to be. None of us. They would say, there is no creator and therefore no created purpose to what we are. There's no design. There's no fundamental reason why we should honor this category of male and female. Remember long ago, we talked about this parable of Nietzsche, the atheist Nietzsche, who said very honestly that when we murder God, when we throw him out as though he's dead, that then we're just hurtling through space, he said. There's no up, there's no down, there's no north, there's no south. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no way to determine that anymore. There's just what we see. You know, I imagine it, little spacecraft No sun, no planet, no moon, and we're hurtling through empty space. All that's going on is what we see in this little spacecraft. And so we decide what's ultimately true just on the basis of what we can see. And we say, what else is there? We do our studies, we take our surveys, and that's how we determine what's right and what's wrong, because there's nothing else. So they say, look at the world. There's no normal, there's no standard. So that's how we decide how to love. That's what tells us how to do good. It's based on the shifting norms of society or it's based on our feelings because there's nothing else to rely on. Now that's reality. That is how people feel. And how does Jesus deal with this? How does Jesus deal with the genuine confusion and pain that people feel in this hurting world? As we look at the life of Jesus, we see that his love gave a very radically different option a kind of love that is not easily understood today that's why by the way i spent the past three weeks trying to talk about what it meant to say that god is love god's love is not something that we can simply look up in the dictionary and understand it's defined by christ it's defined in the scriptures and that's the kind of love that the lord jesus christ shows us he says all of us every one of us everyone in this room everyone listening to me has fallen short of God's glory when he made us male and female. All of us have fallen short of living out the gender identity that God wants us to live out. Every one of us are not what God intended us to be. So that means we all need healing. We all need healing for our sexuality. We need restoration of mind and soul and God through his Holy Spirit is busy doing that in the life of every Christian. So Jesus restores, he redeems. He's restoring his people to that standard that God the creator set in creation so that we can in our lives be fruitful. We can live lives which are satisfying, lives that experience the blessings of God our creator. So first of all, Jesus has this idea about our hurting world and we have to share that view of our hurting world if we're gonna understand him. And then Jesus has a view of God and why it's critical to understand who God is and that he's spoken. And then lastly, Jesus has a ministry of love and he's entrusted that ministry to you and me. Remember what it said in John chapter 13, Jesus said, as I have loved you, so love one another. And elsewhere really, he extended that command of love to everyone in the world. The way we learn how to love is to really emulate the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the hard part. This is the part where we could spend hours and hours talking. But may I just give you two or three ideas about how then we, as Christians, live in this hurting world, ruled by a God our creator, desperately in need of the healing love of Jesus. Here's the first thing. We have to admit that all of us need the healing of Jesus. I think as Christians, sometimes we've given completely the wrong impression that we have it all together. What a dishonest lie that is we can't look down on other people as though we have it all together when it comes to being men and women no we have failed when it comes to sexual purity we failed when it comes to living our marriages out we failed we need a savior and we need to be very clear about that whenever this issue comes up none of us are there so here's what philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says Here's how Paul begins the letter. He says, he who began, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God has begun a good work in all of his people. But friends, it's a continuing work. It comes to completion on the day when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Till the end, we have to keep working at it. God is at work in us. Just to emphasize this, when I'm saying this, I'm not talking about the few who would come out openly and say they're confused about their gender. Some in the church, some outside the church. I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about all of us. So I'm talking to you men, talking to myself. We're not defined just because we have the right hobbies or wear the right clothes or because we're married. No, we should be striving to be the men that God intends us to be, that would glorify him. And women, you're not defined because of cultural expectations by your body alone, by your marital status. Women, you should be striving to glorify God by being the kind of women that God wants you to be. And pray that God will grow you in that till the day you see him face to face. I think it means that we teach our children that it's good, it's good to be male and female. That doesn't mean we ignore questions that they have. It doesn't mean we can ignore the confusions that there might be because of reasons that are maybe too many to list, external and internal. But we glorify God's truth. Son, God loves you. God loves you, son, and he gave you that body, and he made you the way you are because one day he wants you to be a great godly man for him. My daughter, God loves you. Everything about your body, all the complexity of your body, God gave you because he wants you to be a glorious woman who serves him one day. You're unique doesn't mean you're like every other human being. There's gifts and talents, inclinations and passions God's put in you, which is unlike others, but you're going to live them out as a man of God or a woman of God. Glorify God as male and female. We have to admit that we have to keep working on this. We're not there. And friends, we have to live it out in church. We're not there. More than ever today, we have to live it out better and better in church. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 is a very interesting passage it talks about how we're to treat young women, young men, older women, older men. You know what it says? It doesn't just say treat young men and young women like siblings. No. It says treat young women like sisters, young men like brothers. Gender matters. And then it talks about older members of the church. It doesn't say treat them like parents. It says treat the older women like mothers. And the older men like fathers. Gender matters in our relationships. We should live that out. Honor the women in this church as women and the men in this church as men. I think we should let our voices demonstrate God's glory in making us male and female. I always have encouraged the worship team to sing as many songs as they can find where men and women sing in harmony or in response to each other. We're bringing up our children in an atmosphere where they see that Being male and being female is a wonderful thing, a glorious thing, a beautiful thing, and it makes our music as it makes our lives more beautiful. So the first thing is that I think we have to admit that we need Jesus's healing in our lives individually and in our family life and in our life as a church. Here's the second thing, everybody needs Jesus. So we point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. We can't ever pretend we have it right If you're like me, you'll be a man. If you're like him, you'll be a man. No, we point people to Jesus. Friends, I would even go so far as to say we don't point them to a book. Don't point them to a little YouTube lecture. Those might be helpful, but ultimately we have to point them to Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse seven, Paul says about himself, we have this treasure, and he's talking about the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay, nothing very fancy, he says, in jars of clay. Why? So that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're drawing attention to Jesus. So when people come, really, we don't care how they dress. We don't care how they look, whether they wear a three-piece suit or they wear a torn t-shirt with ripped shorts. It doesn't matter. We welcome them because those are superficial things. I'm so glad that our church really is like that. We really don't care because all that matters is what's happening in their heart. We have to welcome them in the name of Jesus. If they ask questions, we have to speak. Sometimes we don't speak if we don't know the answers, but if we do, we speak with clarity, with reason, and with the testimony of our own lives, pointing them to the creator who is love and who's revealed himself in Jesus. And what we do, we invite them to trust in him. Not in us, not in our view of the world, not in our politics, but to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, that's a very hard thing to do. In fact, I think as I read the Bible, it can't be done unless the spirit of God works in our hearts. To entrust the most tender parts of our lives to someone else and say, go ahead, do what you want with this is a very hard thing to do. Change me, make me what you will. We have to tell them who Jesus is. Did you know that the same God who made the glory of the autumn leaves outside is the one who made you male and female. That's his wisdom, that's his beauty, that's his glory. You can trust him. And the same God came to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered because he loved you so much. He gave his life so that he could make peace with you. You can trust him. Jesus is worthy of your trust. That's the message we have to give. And then as we point them to Jesus, we can pray. You say, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray for my son, my daughter, or I don't know what to pray for my friend. I beg to differ. I know exactly what to pray. There's a way that things are supposed to be. That's what Jesus said. And so we pray, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This person that I love so much, God, there's nothing better, more blessed than for this person to exhibit your glory, for this person to be restored and healed and become what you said he was or she was supposed to be. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what happens? Well, then we leave things in the hands of God because in his time, gently, lovingly, he works in all of us until he restores us. I don't know if you've ever seen a broken bone or if you've ever had a broken bone. I don't know how many of you have ever broken a bone. Yeah, there we go. There's a few. Not happy, is it? I broke bone in my... First year in school, first grade, I broke a bone. I was doing something naughty, I admit, which is why I broke it. One good thing that came out of it is that up till then, I always was confused about what was right and left, but I broke my left arm, and after that, there was no confusion at all. And boy, it was painful, really painful. The arm was sort of bowed up. I vaguely remember that. When somebody came to help me, I screamed, don't touch it, stay away. We don't want people to touch those wounded parts of our lives, do we? It's only going to cause more pain. Just stay away from this. But finally, they took me to the hospital, and I was surrounded by some very loving, gentle, caring doctors and nurses, and they set the bone in place. They put a cast on, and I left happy, healing, healing, not healthy, but healing, and so glad that I was taken care of, restored. They knew how to do it. They knew how the bone was supposed to be, and they set it right, and they restored it. Friends, Jesus is in the business of restoring all of us. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's a day coming when all the hurt and confusion will be erased. And right now, the healing process is going on. It says, And death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. And then this, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He restores everything. Behold, I make all things new. Amen. Let it be. Let's pray. Lord, as we pray, we begin with ourselves because we need your grace, that wonderful healing touch that only comes from your hands. And we need it to touch us deeply, Lord, all of us who variety of ways grumble or, or feel hurt or are confused about how you've made us when we think about our sexuality. When we think about our sexual desires, we think about where they lead us. Then we pray, Lord, for our loved ones. We pray for our friends, especially those, Lord, who are looking for healing and peace apart from you. Lord, be that good shepherd who goes out and finds them and brings them home. All this we pray through your holy name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sexuality is such a powerful part of our lives, which is why we desperately need the grace and the healing of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. I think there are some whose sexual desires, whose sexual identities fall outside of these boundaries that we've been talking about today. And some who are listening here or listening on live stream and they may be wondering then, am I outside of God's love? Am I outside of the grace that we've been singing about? And the answer is, absolutely not i love you we love you and more importantly god in heaven loves you i love the words of jude chapter 1 verse 24 he says he is able to keep you from stumbling to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy i love that he is able he's able to keep you from stumbling so that's my benediction may our may our savior who created you may he heal you body and soul may he give you endurance to glorify him as men and women till the day you see him face to face amen